by artists for artists we talk cash shit about everything sometimes we get messy and it all counts as art because we say so i'm mel i'm an artist and a woman and black on all five sides this week i'm a gender reveal party planner a reserve flight attendant and i also just completed a 300 page dissertation on the groundbreaking representational work in the television show homeboys from outer space Hi, everybody. I'm Maxi. I have now been entrusted with the youth and the future. I'm flirting with making my life into TikTok videos, and my evacuation bag has a wad of cash and some fabric in it. I know many of you are wondering how to support NTP. That's probably your primary thought at this moment. As it should be. Well, we have a Patreon page where we have exclusive podcast episodes where um, we get extra messy behind the paywall. You know, you got to pay for that shit. Um, Although I will interject um, as a special celebration of our 20th episode of Who All Gonna Be There, we will be releasing the latest episode of So Extra on our regular feed so that you can see what the kind of shit that we usually talk about. So. Yeah, y'all hear all that? Some free content, y'all. Free. And then we also have an Etsy page where you can buy our merch, publications, tote bags, zines, buttons. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave a review. Um, We'll read it on the air. Shout us out. You can find our podcast at any place you can find podcasts. Um, Check us out. Download us on every um, site. And then, yeah, any questions, send them to natturnerproject0 at gmail.com, and we will read them on here. And that is the Nat Turner Project DL, low down, down low, LD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. Um, we have, over the past uh, couple months, we've had a pretty impressive slate of 
guest artists um, and organizers who came in to talk to us. But today is just us, and y'all will deal. Because we are here to celebrate our 20th episode of Who All Gonna Be There. We've come a long way like those slim-ass cigarettes from Virginia. <laughs> so, Max, are you gonna are you going to toast us on this 20th episode? 20 episodes of podcasts, I say. Chinani, congratulations, Melanie. It's been a joy and an honor to serve alongside you in the booth and over Zoom and the next space. That's right. We ride together, we die together. Bad podcasting for life. (laughs) (laughs) So, let's address the elephant or the fire in the room about what's new in our lives. So what's new for you, Max? Yeah. So what's new for you, Max? Um, what's new? Um, yeah, there, there's, there's smoke and fire everywhere. People are having to evacuate. Um, horses are getting burnt. People are losing like homes and property and stuff. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's wild here. Um, it's been going on for maybe like a week now or started like Monday night, I think. And, um, yeah, I don't know what to do. (laughs) That's what's up with me. Um, it's hard to go outside um that's been affecting my joint smoking for sure um <laughs> i'll take like one inhale then just like taste nothing but fire and be like oh this is horrible i shouldn't be out here you don't have backup alternative methods of consumption well i, I have a pipe that i'll use for indoors but i've gotten into like the joint habit because i was like oh i'm an adult now like i'm not gonna smoke weed inside <laughs> Um, yeah, sky's on fire. The fires are very, very close to Portland in a way that stopped being theoretical about a day ago. Um, so I have been slowly freaking out and drinking vodka. I'm almost out of vodka now. Uh, developed an evacuation plan of sorts with my housemate. I'm hoping I don't have to use it. Um... Careful, all that vodka is going to make you uh, more flammable. But it's Grey Goose. It's the good shit. Oh, yeah. That'll really that'll really light up. <laughs> <laughs> um, beyond, like, the obvious shit, like Portland potentially being on fire, I have recently moved. Ooh. Yeah. Um, moved into a pretty great spot. Um for the first time that I've been in Portland in all these five years, I actually now have enough space to buy furniture and things for myself without fear of taking up too much space, which is <laughs> feels like kind of a moot point because now I might have to abandon all that shit um, in a vat of open flames. But, you know, whatever. Perspective. Um, yeah. Max, you have recently... Um, uh, undergone a professional life change you want to talk about that yeah now um not only do i juggle but i um make juggling videos (laughs) say more so find me on all the juggling sites um i'm trying to get monetized what's your what's your juggle name um 
juggles Ramirez. I'll be sure to follow you on the social meds. Yeah, I mean, we we joke about it now, but uh, juggling is coming back. So we'll see who's laughing then. <laughs> but um, besides that, besides my juggling career taking off, I've um, I've actually started teaching a class, believe it or not. And you've been bit by the teaching bug. Yeah, I love it. I love I love kids. I love teaching them. I love that they're honestly. It's like selfish reasons. I feel like I have a captive audience. And I was like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> so I'm trying not to take advantage of that too much. But <laughs> and then too, when I realized that you know, like the first day was like um, whatever. But when I realized there was like no oversight, like my chair didn't check in or like my dean didn't like come and like make sure everything was going well like nobody's checked in with me at all and then i realized like there's no oversight and i can do whatever i want that's when we really <laughs> we really got off to the races <laughs> if you see like uh 15 little uh, maximilianos wandering around later that have been indoctrinated that uh, those are my former students <laughs> I think it's almost you're almost kind of at an advantage because like your first like experience teaching um at a collegiate level like this is in the era of the pandemic of the Zoom whereas like I've been doing it for like a few years now so I'm sort of having to completely reshift all the shit that I thought I knew about teaching and reacclimate to the Zoom teaching, which is a whole other fucking animal that's been hard to get used to. Like, I feel like you took the smart approach and you made the cameras mandatory, but I was trying to be all democratic and respect privacy and I made the cameras optional and I have been regretting it ever since. It was yeah. the dumbest thing I've ever done to myself and I wish I could take it back, but I can't now. But I'm definitely not doing this again next semester. I'm making them mandatory. I don't give a fuck. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no i think yeah i think it's good to maybe start during like a <clears throat> a new time i've been watching these uh tiktok videos i've been really into tiktok since i think uh, quarantine happened um it's like a great way to pass the time when you're in the bathroom um <laughs> um but also well, like one of the veins of TikToks is like all these uh, now, like there's a lot of like teachers, like, you know, teaching on Zoom, not just like at a college level, but like, you know, like high school throughout the whole spectrum or whatever. And um, a lot of these like, yeah, high school teachers are definitely not like tech savvy like us or like artists at all and like have no way idea what like Zoom is or anything like that. And so like a lot of these videos are just like of high school students um, pranking their teachers over Zoom. Being like, oh, professor, like, oh, teacher, can I get like the share, the make me a host so I can do something, and then they like, get made a host, and then they kick the teacher out of the meeting, <laughs> and then all the kids are just like laughing and stuff, and then the teacher comes back on, and is like, oh, that was weird, I got kicked out, like I don't know what's going on, and then they like kick him, kick him out again, <laughs> and the teacher has no idea like, what the fuck's going on, <laughs> and all the kids are just like laughing. I was like, oh god, that's not funny. That's not funny. I would lose my shit as a teacher. Yeah. And then I saw these other videos, like these, like, it seems like they're like kids of teachers, kids of high school teachers are like, hey, you know, my mom's been a teacher for 20 years. This is their first time using Zoom. 
you know, you have to like have more respect. They're going through all this stuff to try to teach you. <laughs> so, you know, you're seeing the, the both sides of the conversation, I guess. <laughs> but it, it feels like you're still very much in like the honeymoon phase of teaching. But, like, also, like, these kids are just traumatized and dealing with a lot of PTSD. I don't even think you can call it PTSD. It's more TTSD at this point because we're still in the middle of it. Um, And it's just, and to have to, like, care about all this stuff in the middle of all this is, is hard for them. Like, I don't, honestly, if if I were 18, 19 years old, I just wouldn't fucking show up to class right now, if I'm being honest. Yeah, see, I, I feel like I could see both sides because, like, I would be like, oh, I wouldn't want to participate in college at all. But if, like, everything else is, like, around me is going to shit, it's like, oh, maybe one college is, like, the one thing I can do to feel, like, normal or feel like, you know, because a lot of these kids are still living at their parents' house when they would have, like, moved to a whole new city. They're like, yeah. oh, you finished being a high school senior. Now you're still at your parents' house going to college. <laughs> I would hate that. I would have hated that, you know. <laughs> but, um... But yeah, like one of like my first project is like you can turn in the zine or turn in a, a GIF, and so like one of my students was showing me what they worked on yesterday, and it was just like a GIF pro- progression of depression. They're starting out like nice and happy, and then they just like the GIF proceeds, and then they just like get depressed. And I was like, damn, all right, that's real. Like, oh, like this is a good project, but like shit. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I mean, what do you do when you ask at the top of the class, how are you? And one of your students is like, yeah, a friend of mine's, like, father just tested positive for COVID. Or, like, you you say, okay, and then start teaching class? Like, it's weird. Things are weird right now, and I don't fully know how to navigate all of this. Yeah. Like, I know that, like, people deal with trauma differently. So a lot of these students are showing up for class and they want to be there because they want to get the best education they can and they want to feel normal. They want to feel like some sense of normalcy. So I try to give them that as a teacher. I feel like that's my duty as a teacher. Um, But also like, how do you not reference that the world is literally on fire outside of you? Yeah, I think you do, right? You have to be like, I know it's wild out, but you know, we're here we're trying to do our best right but then also at the same time like you know they have it set up to where it's like if a student decides to not like do work or show up it's not really like an issue so it's like so i like so i like that because it feels like a little pressure like i don't have to be a disciplinarian like we can talk about the assignments and like do the work but then if somebody's like oh i i didn't i didn't do that work or i didn't do it today or i didn't like show up today it's like all right yeah no worries you know true true i do like that aspect of it my uh i was talking i was talking to my mom about this stuff and then she her recommendation was that i should for my next zoom class try to have it be a picnic <laughs> everybody <laughs> bring stuff for a virtual picnic i was like okay mom <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of cute though i like it <laughs> do you feel weird about like your background showing your actual like home um no not really like maybe like i would have like it would be cool to have like a cooler background and like stunt on them more but um i tried to like make it really like i think all you can see is just some fabric yeah. um or this way yeah so i try to like be cool without being self-promoting which that's <laughs> like how do i not talk about my own art but um but yeah like i, I guess i don't worry about it that much um i just have this thing 
which feels more intentional. Yeah, see, mine is just like my living room. And that feels, is that too intimate in your opinion? I think it looks nice. It shows that you have a nice living room. You have like a nice ceiling and stuff. You got some wine in the background. They're probably like, oh, Melly Stevens, like stack that paper for real. And it's really all just my housemate. So. <laughs> you need to know that, Melanie. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's weird because like I remember someone posting a meme, um, where they're like teachers during the pandemic be like, and then it was a picture of the musicians from the Titanic. <laughs> I mean, that's what it feels like for sure. It definitely feels like that. It's like okay. But at the same time, it's like you're a student, so shut the fuck up. You know, you decided to come to school here, so you're you're a fucking musician on the Titanic too. Like, yeah. <laughs> don't come at me with that shit. <laughs> you're you're here too. Nobody made you go to college. You're here too. You decided to sign up for college when the world's burning. All right, so we're all on the same page. You know what? That is a good point. I never thought of it that way. Okay, thank you for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh what else oh i guess we should mention uh ntp we finally raised enough money for our third round of relief program stipends yeah we raised our seven thousand dollars it took a little bit longer this time around that was interesting yeah thank Um, you to all our donors applications are open until monday so whenever this episode comes out they may already be closed september 7th to september 14th um <clears throat> well yeah we also have uh, antidote currently up our uh exhibition at c3 initiative which is downtown north park blocks check it out it's a window exterior exhibition you don't have to go inside you can just walk by it and check it out we have four amazing artists but for this uh first part we have two artists Intazar Abioto and uh, Jay Dodd are both uh, exhibiting artwork. And there is some projection involved. So if seeing it at day, in the daytime is slightly different than seeing the exhibition in the nighttime. So that's worth noting. Yeah, the exhibition changes depending on the time of day you experience it. Yeah. And it'll be up, that iteration of it will be up until what, October 10th or something? Yes. And then um, from October 24th to January of 2021, we'll have artists Ariella Tai and Homeschool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about. So, yeah, if you're if you're downtown, if you're not, if you want to drive by, check it out. If you happen to walk by, check it out. Um, make an actual effort to go check it out. Just go to see it. You should go see it. Yeah. We have a zine coming out soon. Um so Ooh. that'll keep your eyes out for that. Eyes and ears open for uh, a new NTP publication. Can we talk about it a little bit? Yeah. Okay, so y'all remember we had the Black Abbey series where we had artists from our uh, artist in residency program, Black Abbey, which um, in which we partnered with Sharita Town of a Black Art Ecology of a Black Art Ecology of Portland. Um, to run this program for six black writers and artists um, to subsidize rental space at the Alberta Abbey and provide stipends um, while they created work there for six weeks. Um, And we will be publishing a zine 
which will highlight some of the work they created, um, as well as some quotes um, and writings from us. And also a special edition Nat Turner Project Book of Sedition zine, which will only be available with this zine publication. So we'll be publishing that at the end of the month and we'll be providing um, a, a link to purchase that on our Etsy page shortly, provided yeah. that all this shit doesn't go up in flames. Yeah. Yeah, we don't have to <laughs> evacuate. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but yeah, shout out uh, Street to Town, shout out to Black Eckhart. Art Ecology of Portland. Um, it's been amazing working with Shrita and Bape um, over these last couple different projects or like projects flowing into each other kind of thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Um, all things at Turner Project is up to and to be excited about in the near future, for sure. <clears throat> um, is there any other life updates? Um, NTP updates? I am currently, like, vigorously with the little bits of free time that I happen to have, which are getting smaller by the second, working on Watershed Volume 2. Um, all of the thumbnails are done and approved by my editor, so now it's just a matter of penciling them, which I could get done relatively quickly if I had more time, but um, we're looking to publish and print this thing by the end of December so um and I gotta say like I might be bi biased but it's pretty lit I'm just saying a lot of shit goes down in Watershed too <laughs> so so we'll be I'm, able to buy it and get it before the end of this year yes okay hell yeah, yeah. Watershed okay. Volume 2 Watershed Volume 2 and I just got reprints of Watershed Volume 1 um done because i had sold out what was that huh what was that i just got reprints of watershed volume one why because they sold out oh, oh. hell yeah congratulations melanie that's what's up <laughs> thank you yeah um so i'll be selling a special bundle of watershed volume one and two um at the end of december hopefully just in time for christmas um for 25 dollars um that's the plan Watershed Volume 1 is currently $12, and Watershed Volume 2 will be $15. So, yeah. so you save $2 if you buy them both. And yeah, obviously they sell out, so you want to buy them ASAP. Indeed. And you might, you might find some of the themes and some of the things happening vaguely familiar. So. <laughs> also, spoiler introduction of a very special new character happens in watershed volume two a character oh. that is 10 years in the making so oh. mm -hmm. okay. interested in that i'm excited to see that what about you you got some pretty big art stuff happening um yeah now that you now that you said that i remembered a couple other things um yeah um for whatever for whatever it's worth rise and fall a collaboration i'm a part of with uh the amazing jaleesa johnson and the, um, I guess, also amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> you better hope he doesn't hear this. No, it's fine. 
the also the my two amazing collaborators, Jalisa Johnson and Ruben Garcia Marufo. We uh, we come together like Power Rangers to form Rise and Fall. <laughs> and um, yeah, so we're, we're going to be. Sh- what did you say? Who's the Black Power Ranger? Um, I don't know. I guess me and Jaleesa may have to decide who <laughs> wants to be it. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, we're doing we're doing a screening of a work in progress of our ongoing collaboration for this year's TVA. Um, so I think you go to like Pika TV to watch it. September nineteenth, um, next Saturday, we'll be screening and then doing an artist talk. And um, yeah, the project should uh, hopefully if twenty twenty one is an unapocalyptic year um we should really be able to fully realize it <laughs> in the next year fingers crossed uh, and then the main my my big um my big thing that i've been working on since the end of last year is androids in the tower which um was originally going to be like a live performance slash like multimedia um experience performance but now is shifting to um video and digital but it's still going to be coming out um, the end of this year. There'll be two like release dates. October 26th is when um, there will be a visual poem, which is like a zine publication, along with like clothing, merch, as well as um, a critical writing. And then November 26th is when the video will be released, and you can buy it. the password for that. You can also buy it all packaged. Um, yeah, I'm working with like a bunch of different amazing people to realize this idea and i'm very excited about it um nat turner project own uh, melanie stevens will be um authoring the critical review so i'm excited about that melanie's gonna see the performance live the one person that's actually gonna see the live performance in a couple of weeks um so yeah actually starting sunday we're gonna start rehearsing like pretty much every other day so we're gonna be grinding hard these next two weeks i mean you know everything everything willing right we'll be grinding hard I'm really looking forward to it. I'm excited. It'll be my first real public outing since February. No, since early March. Um, oh, shit. Okay. So, no pressure, but... No, we're going to do it up for you. I was already planning on giving you the 110%, so we're, we're going to do it real good for you, Melanie. But, oh, yeah, that's also with... Um, yeah, shout out, uh, of course, Melanie Stevens doing the critical review. Um uh, Alejandra Arias Sevillas is um, the technician doing like lighting and sound. Um, shout out Keon Gaskin as the dramaturg, and um, shout out my co-collaborator and other performance artist um, Onyx Andra. Um, I can't um, express enough how amazing they are, how amazing they all are. Um, it's been amazing to work with all of them, and I'm very excited for what we've been working on. So I guess now, in a lot of ways, you're just like me. You also have seven fifty eleven jobs how's that going for you um i try not to think about it melanie and then you always <laughs> you always, <laughs> you always bring me back to it um but it's been it's been cool i feel like yeah definitely like being a teacher has felt like a new level of legitimacy which i feel gross to admit but i definitely feel that but i definitely, <laughs> I definitely feel like uh i don't know i'm surprised by uh Cause I feel like I felt like it for me it felt just like yeah like another gig within this like gig economy that like we exist in as artists. But then when I would tell like um, other people that aren't artists, they seem so much more like able to like quantify what that means compared to like 
getting a grant or like something like that they're like oh yeah being a teacher seems so much more like a thing they understand versus like oh i got this grant or i have this project um so i think in other people's eyes i've been (laughs) legitimized more it's the it's the only job that my mother understands that i do (laughs) She doesn't understand any of the other jobs. She doesn't understand the Nat Turner Project. She doesn't understand the graphic novels. She doesn't understand my CE job, but she tells everyone I'm a professor now. So, <laughs> whatever makes her happy. <laughs> At least she was that designed to make up a false profession for you. I'm pretty sure that's what she was doing before. I'm almost 100% positive. So, like... <laughs> <laughs> um what else what's what else is happening what else i was gonna like originally before the world started ending i was gonna craft this game that i was gonna like play with you that was gonna be like um two words and you would just choose whichever one you would choose and then we would see but i didn't craft it but maybe next episode it's gonna be like melanie stevens waffles or pancakes Pancakes, duh. Melanie Stevens, uh, see, I, can, I would have to have them already oh. ready. <laughs> that was the that was the gist. And then there would be, like, hard ones. There would be, like, uh, <clears throat> you know, I don't know, two different comparable actors or something. Okay, we you should definitely set that up for the next episode, because that sounds fun as hell. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Do you feel like, since it's clearly apocalypse, that we should be more, like, frantic or doing more things? Because I feel like I've been a bit complacent during this particular apocalypse. No, it reminds me of like when COVID first started. I had no idea how to like gauge it or measure uh, measure it. Like at what level of response I should be like doing. You know, because at one point with COVID, I was like, oh, do I need to like be hoarding shit? You know, like starting to build like my battle armor with like spikes and stuff or, you know, the Thunderdome or whatever. Um, but yeah, so now I'm wondering, like, yeah, do I need to, like I said, because like last night or whatever, two nights ago, you said you were going to start making your emergency bag. Yeah. This, so then I was like, oh, I guess I should make an emergency bag. But then I was like, I don't even know what I'd put in it. Ask me if I've done that. Have you done it? Hell no, I haven't done that yet. Because <laughs> there is things like, I think if I was freaking out and like I had an emergency, I probably wouldn't grab all the things I should grab. Like I didn't think about like because i do have like a place where i put like my important papers i don't think i would have been like oh yeah let me grab my like birth certificate or whatever i would have thought about like oh let me grab my computer let me grab like some clothes let me grab like these other things okay okay Okay, quick let's say you have 30 seconds to grab the most important shit and get the hell up out of dodge what are you grabbing um 30 seconds i think i'd grab my computer and hard drives i think everything else i could replace my art content, I would I would be so devastated if I lost. Yeah, I would grab my watershed script. I would grab my drawing tablet, my work laptop, and my passport. And I'm out. That's it. Yeah, I think everything else, I mean, like, I like the things I have, but, like, I, I could get more clothes and, like, more furniture. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really a sentimental person, um, so I don't really, like, I do, I, I do put, like, attachment to, like, shit, but... They're also, like, I'm also, like, just moved, so they're in boxes, so I don't even know what they are, so I'll be like, oh, I guess that box burned up. I don't even know what was in it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, if I had, yeah, I think if I just, like, had my computer and my hard drives, I think, for me, it would be the thing I'd be the most fucked up about losing, because I feel like if I didn't have a computer, I wouldn't be able to do, like, zero anything, like, any type of art, any type of work. 
And you have a nice computer because you got that shit on the government dime. So good for you. Look, I got my, I got one of my drawing tablets on the government dime. There's no shame. No, I'm just saying, like, I'm going to be at the evacuation center and people are like, oh, yeah, I heard Maximiliano has a nice computer. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it's actually, it wouldn't be that hard. Like, I know that those are the four things I need and I'd be out, like, and I'd be fine, which is weird to think about because it feels like at the time, like, you ha- you're attached to all these things, but honestly, you're really not. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it's different for different people. I think, you know, like us being, yeah, like just moved to a new location. Like, I don't feel a particular attachment to like the house I live that's in. That's what it is because we both just moved? Maybe. I think that's part. I mean, I think for me, some of it is like I've had some of these like furnitures for like multiple houses and stuff. But I still like, like it's a TV. It's not like it's a sentimental TV or it's right. like it's a bed. It's not like a sentimental bed. Um, some of my clothes like I like, but there's like, oh, it's a T-shirt. I was like, okay, whatever. Um. And, like, I don't have, like, photos, like, family photos. Like, I don't have that. Like, my parents have all that stuff. Like, I don't have sentimental things. I think anything sentimental is probably, to me, it's probably still at my parents' house. Um, I don't really, like, maybe I have, like, a stuffed animal or two. I have, like, a stuffed animal from when I was, like, one years old that I'd probably, like, throw in my bag. I mean, I have some artworks that I'd be sad if I lost. But a lot of my artwork is now digital, so it can be recreated. Yeah, that's why, yeah, I'd be more worried about, like, losing hard drives. Like, oh, that video content or whatever. Um, but, again, I think a lot of that stuff exists on Google Drive. I've been trying to get be good about having a, having it both places, having an, an external hard drive and having it on Google Drive. I've been thinking I need to do that because, like, as you know, everything I have is on Google, which seems not smart, but also very smart at the same time. <laughs> But I should I should actually actively work on getting this stuff on an external hard drive. Yeah, it's hard. You need like that's kind of like work that like you're supposed to have like an assistant for. That kind of just like yeah. I'm gonna spend like what four days like completely reorganizing all my fucking digital files. Yeah, like it wasn't a big deal when I had a regular ass Google Drive with a Google Drive size. But once we became like PNCA students and they gave us the Google Suite like unlimited whatever. I've accrued so much shit on my drive that it would take, it's a practically a full-time job to have to transfer all that shit now. Yeah. So I've just been putting it off for like two years. Like the NTP folder alone is a, is a whole job. I was like, oh yeah, we need to get it. We need to hire somebody to come organize this. <laughs> But luckily, that's technically not my problem anymore because I transferred ownership to you on that. So, oh, okay. good luck. <laughs> I just I just type in everything I look for. I was like, Black Abbey folder. Let me just type in Black Abbey and, and then it'll appear up. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but, yeah, we should, we should get, um, get somebody on it. That's a good idea. We should pay someone to do that. Hmm. We, if we up our Patreon um, amount a little bit more, we can afford that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah let's get some more Patreons. Keep donating. Let's keep subscribing to that Turner Project. We got, like, a couple. I feel like we've had, like, a, a couple trickle trickle in since, like, the main burst. There's been, yeah. like, a few. We have. And we've had, we've had a couple people switch and up their 
donation amount, which is kind of yeah. which pretty cool. Yeah, and to my knowledge, we haven't had anybody uh, drop out. I haven't seen like a drop out email. It's been pretty amazing. Like, we can now afford to pay like multiple people to come on here every month, which is yeah. which has been nice. Yeah, so. and we can afford to pay ourselves for the first time. Mm-hmm. Remember back in the day when we were starting out, like 2016, um, bathroom shows, and we would just take turns buying the snacks. <laughs> <laughs> And I used to low-key get a little mad at you because you always went all out, like, and bought the most expensive shit. I'm like, what do you think this is, Max? I think it's because, like, the closest place was World Foods. <laughs> That's right. You were buying shit at World Foods. I'm like, no, I will just walk my ass to Safeway and save the $20. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> We've come a long way. We really have. Yeah. Can you imagine? Do you think that, like, looking, like, back then, we could have even imagined that this is where Nat Turner Project would have landed? I don't know. I mean, I think it's hard to imagine, like, some of the specifics. Um, and I guess, like, yeah, with Nat Turner Project, I don't know if I've ever really thought about, like, I mean, I think I, I definitely think about it now more, like, longevity and, like, the future of Nat Turner Project way more than I did, I think, when we had first started it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, no, I... I'm happy and I'm definitely grateful and appreciative. I feel like, uh, you know, we've made so many like friends and like connections and um, all that stuff, which I think it's like the immeasurable stuff. And I think, you know, for me, I think one of the reasons I wanted to even start doing it is like, oh yeah, it's like a chance to like work with people you're a fan of or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it was pretty cool. Cause like, I don't think I've ever told you this, but like when we first started and like you asked me to come on and I like I remember like originally there was a third person we invited and I'm not going to name names, but like when that person realized what we were trying to do immediately dropped out, which is hilarious. Um, but, like when we first started, I just thought it was like some cool shit that we were doing on the side. Like I didn't think it was serious like a serious, serious thing. And then when you like kind of like took the helm a little bit and like we started talking and you decided like this is a person who we're going to exhibit and like you started making arrangements to ship their stuff in, I was like, oh shit, I think Max is really serious about this. This is going to be an actual thing. Like I think that's what kind of ma like made the shift for me to start taking it seriously. Uh, and it was like, it was basically just the way that you treated it from the very beginning. Because honestly, if you hadn't, it could have gone a whole other way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think it's um, confusing to say, because like, yeah, like I play all the time, but I don't play Melanie. No, I know, I know, seriously. I mean, you're laughing, but like, no, that's the truth. And I think that's one of the things that, I don't know, I think people who don't know you don't really understand that until they take the time to get to know you like you're pretty you're fucking like on top of it in a way that most people aren't that i really admire well i really appreciate it. that means a lot coming especially coming from you molly thank you because I, I i feel the same way about you i think you're amazing i feel like i'm taking notes from you all the time um i think the way you handle things the way you handle all these different projects is amazing um yeah i think i think you're stellar so i mean i'm flattered for you to say that <laughs> do you think that third person who was originally brought on ever looks back and regrets it or do you think they're grateful 
No, I think I think um, that third person. I think they were very uh, gracious and they're bowing out. I think the moment that um, they realized that we were going in a different direction, I think that was very um, aware and mindful of them. And yeah. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think they're like I don't think like there's any world where they where there's like a different world where all three of us were in it together or like that kind of thing. So I think, <clears throat> um, yeah, I think I think it was just like like a cell still deciding how it wanted to divide. Yeah. And you originally asked that third person, right? Yeah, I think I had like had the idea and was shopping it around to different people. And um, yeah, I've shopped it around maybe to that third person or an idea of just like curating a space. Because originally, I think the very, the very beginning, I was like, I was going to do it. I had an idea. I was like, oh, I want to like, you know, curate the bathroom. Um, and then um, I had this idea like with two other people and um, other like classmates. And then, you know, it was just like a lot of hot air, just like a lot of like smoke, um, just like a, lot of t- like a lot of talk. And then I was still like shopping around because like I, I wasn't talk. I was trying to like do a, do it. And then, um, but then, yeah, like, I talked to you about it, and then you wanted to take it in this, like, uh, like radical black direction. I, don't, I think before you, it wasn't necessary. It wasn't, it definitely wasn't going to be this, like, radical black space, right? I was, like, talking to white people. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so when you came on bar, I was like, and then, like, I think the, from the very first conversation we had about it, I was, like, sold. I was, like, yes. I was, like, I think my eyes got big, and I was, like, I love it. I love everything you're saying. This is going to be badass. We're going to fucking burn all this shit down. Um <laughs> Yeah, let's do it. I just like forsake. I first suck. I first shook every previous uh, <laughs> obligation. I was like, "What the fuck?" Ever? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I think for me, um, maybe I think like for for like yeah, I think for us, it felt real when we were doing like making the press releases all the time. But I think um, maybe the maybe the second step or whatever was definitely like getting the. I remember like you know writing and working on that like a. Uh, c3 application and trying to get like because i we initially were applying to incubator and i remember like being in your studio and like us working on that application for the c3 incubator and then not getting it but then them still offering us this like other unique opportunity which i felt like um for me that was like this amazing um springboard because then too like i think most of our classmates right graduating from grad school we're like extremely depressed and we're just like, I have no idea what to, what to do. And like, we didn't have that um, privilege that time. Cause we were like, oh yeah, we have a project <laughs> this summer. Yeah, so we were doing thesis, we were graduating, but then we were also like managing these projects already, which I feel like just like set the tone for like how life has been since then. It's just yeah. like busy and full of projects. And I, I'd rather have it that way than any other way, honestly. But yeah. Me too. Yeah, we don't really have like that moment of complacency or like rest. It was just straight into work for us. Yeah, yeah. And I think honestly, that probably saved me from depression that like all the other um, MFA graduates are like, what do I do now? I was like, well, I know what I'm doing now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but yeah. Yeah. That was cool. (sighs) Can't believe it's been four years. Yeah is wild to think about because i don't feel like it's been that much time but when i think about it, I like oh i started um grad school when i was like 25 and i'm 31 now i mean okay definitely that, that feels real but then i was like <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah yep i started just a young kid of 36 and i am almost 41 years old that yeah. is really really weird to think about 
I entered a whole new decade. Yeah. So. Yeah, I feel like I used to know like nothing about Portland, and now I'm gonna be like that person that just like names random streets. Stark, Everett, you know, <laughs> Acne. I still I still mispronounce things left and right. Obviously, as yes, you know. <laughs> yeah, I still say like well Willamette. You see us in the Willamette Weekly. Tillamook. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm the forever uh, transplant for sure. <laughs> in the event that everything still stays and nothing is set afire in Portland, do you feel like you're you're gonna stay here, and ride this thing out, see where it goes? Um, ride out Portland or yeah. like Nat Turner Project. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, I think, all like, now, since, like, I mean, again, like, when I was originally, we first started Nat Turner Project, I wasn't thinking about, like, the future, but I think since then, since, like, we've managed to, like, have successes and opportunities and stuff, I've definitely thought about, like, what a sustainable Nat Turner Project would look like, like, ideally, like, I, like, I love, like, you know, teaching is cool and, like, all this other stuff is cool, too. But, like, if I was able to, like, have Nat Turner Project be, like, a full-time job where I could get, like, paid, like, a full-time salary and, like, live off of, like, I see that as, like, a, a dream or a goal. Like, I'd rather, like, have Nat Turner Project be my full-time job than any other job or whatever, you know? That would be pretty pretty tight. I don't know if that's ever going to be a possibility, but I feel like we're closer to it now than we were, you know, in 2016. <laughs> yeah, so I think, like... I think about that more now than I did definitely in like 2016 this idea of like oh could this turn into like a full-time job where we're like both paid enough to not have any other jobs I'm like crazier things have happened right that's true I mean honestly I feel like someone could slide us a cool what did we say it would be need to be a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year yeah a hundred and fifty thousand dollars enough to like... pay our salaries and then programming and salaries for NTP artists and programming. Yeah, like our yeah our salaries and an operating budget. I think we can. I think that's very like being us being very generous with everything we do. Oh yeah. Still, of course. I mean, look at the shit we've done in the past four years, on not even a shoestring budget. We put out a book. We put out a critical lean. <laughs> we've done like multiple programming. We've flown artists in multiple times, set them yeah. up with per diems, gave them a place to stay. Um, <laughs> we set up a grant program. We set up we set up a relief stipend. I get tired just thinking about it. I prefer not to think about it because I think thinking about it makes me annoyed at the possibilities of people who have way more than us and what they could be doing. Well, I mean, since you since you went there, um, <laughs> um, I would be like, see the the article earlier this summer comparing um, two people doing things in their free time compared to a whole ass art organization. Um, but oh yet, but yet we're compared like on a one on one or like one to one comparison. When it's yeah. like that would be ridiculous if we had those resources and that kind of money. Like we would be like it would be a completely different world. And then, yeah, like, where to, like, none of us, like, this isn't, again, like, the goal is, like, yeah, I would love Nat Turner Project to be our jobs, but this isn't our jobs. We don't, like, make money from this. Every now and then some cash will fly away. But this is stuff, like, we're doing, <clears throat> like, on our own. We've actually, like, if we're being honest, we've lost money. 
If yeah. you if you do the net gross of all this, we've both lost money in this endeavor, which I'm fine with. I knew that when we took this on, that was a possibility. Yeah. I'm at peace with it, but like being compared to whole ass organizations as private tax paying citizens who are coming out of pocket on a regular basis makes me feel some kind of way. Yeah, and there's that line was like a slightly smaller amount. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> like, oh my god, I that oh <laughs> It's infuriating. Yeah, no, it's wild. Um yeah, I don't I think like I think we forget how much we do. I don't think other people realize how much we do. Um it's wild the amount of things. Um but I like I think I love that like that's our like our mode of operations is that we just like we'll figure out a way to do something. And I think it just shows that you don't need a huge infrastructure to do a lot of shit. Um, I think you just like want people that care, that actually like care about stuff. I think so much of like, I mean, I'm sure this is true beyond Portland, but I know specifically in Portland, like people that have positions of power in Portland, um, is way more of a status symbol for them than like about them like actually caring about like supporting artists or helping people. It's like I want to be, I want to have that title, so because it makes me look cool on Instagram or whatever, versus yeah. like supporting people. And like. I don't want to speak for you, but I am personally a person who is much more comfortable operating without titles and operating under the radar because I feel like ultimately you can get so much more done if people don't know what you're doing. So <laughs> I think that's what makes Nat Turner Project work ultimately. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's like where we strike the balance because I think your um, anonymity um, will, will ground my vanity. So that's good because I think if Natron Project was just like the Maximally Honor Project or something, it would be like a Suge Knight episode. But um, <laughs> or no, it would be like a, a, a like a puff a puff daddy episode. Oh, oh shiny suits, all yeah, in the video. Yeah, it's like oh, you wanna? No, it's like oh, you're making an art. What if you put me in it? You know, just like, all of a sudden, I'm just curating <laughs> art made of myself. Um. But yeah, no, I think I, that's one thing I do love about Natural Project is that it's not about us. Um, yeah. We try to like avoid attaching our names, like our individual names and stuff. Yeah, like our name isn't even on the website, right? Yeah, I think like a lot of people have no idea who Natural Project is, let alone that it's just two people. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people think Natural Project is like this big entity. So maybe we should take that that Willamette article as a compliment that like they don't know that it's just two people well then that just makes them look bad if they're the reporters making an article right i'm just saying they don't, they don't know what they're writing about <laughs> no it's fine they'll probably ask us for another interview in a couple months it's fine. Speaking of fame, you were recently, one of your Instagram stories was viewed by one Ty Dolla Sign, right? What's yeah, that like? This is just like a FYI. I did not put this in the show notes for Melanie to bring up. Melanie decided to bring this up all on her own. But um, <laughs> yes, Melanie, while you mentioned that, um, Ty Dolla Signs did view one of my stories. So how do you feel about this? It feels weird. I think it all goes back to that Instagram filter, which makes your eyes a lighter color which feels gross it's so, it feels so gross I, I i posted so i posted this first image of me with the instagram filter of like having green eyes 
which to me felt very unsettling. This feels like this very like it, it feels anti-black, right? There's like at the end of the day, there's like this anti-black uh, thread through uh, this idea that you can change your eye color, right? I know there's like probably like a lot of like light-skinned black people that do have green eyes, gray eyes, or whatever. Um, but that was not my reality, and to me, seeing myself with green eyes is like for me an aspiration of whiteness, right? Um, <clears throat> so that felt weird, and that felt gross, and I was like, oh, here's this like weird, gross thing. And then um, it seemed like people liked it. I was like, that's even grosser and weirder that um, I'm over here being like. <laughs> you got, wait, you got people liking it and shit? Yeah, people were like, oh yeah, this looks great or blah, blah, blah. I was like, I think you're missing the point. I No, I saw that shit and I was like confused. Cause like, yeah. I don't think Max actually has green eyes. So no, what I am I looking I at? <laughs> so yeah, so I was like, okay, I think some people are missing the point, which is making it feel grosser or feeling like maybe they thought I put contacts in and was like, this is a new look or I don't know. I don't know what it seemed like. It was very interpreted a wide, a wide range of ways. Um, but yeah, I did tie, I did tag um, Ty Dolla Signs in it, and um, he watched it. I don't know what he thought, but um, we're forever bonded now. <laughs> you go together now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that was part of the point of the post. Indeed. <laughs> I was like, oh, that was separating me from Ty Dolla Signs is some, uh, <laughs> some green eyes or some hazel eyes or whatever. <laughs> and maybe like musical skill, but whatever, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, not to brag... But I do have several famous people following me on the on the Twitter, so okay. not gonna name that, names. That doesn't sound like a brag. Okay. <laughs> no flex there. <laughs> but yeah, maybe it'll lead to something. Maybe. I mean, you're. I feel like you're. You're star as an individual artist is rising you're in tba for pika like you're doing big things um in your own professional practice how does that feel like do you feel like you'll hit eventually finally break through that wall and become like a mid-career artist <laughs> and get like that big granddaddy not the big granddaddy but like the sizable grant like ten thousand or more no i hope i hope that's like i hope that's on the horizon i do a lot of uh do a lot of magic i do a lot of spells to ensure my success um but yeah no like with tba i feel like it feels different because like i think every time i've been featured in tba has been part of a collaboration so it's never been like um for individual work which i think it's like it's that like um what are like that dance because like i love collaboration i think collaboration is like really important so it's like um you know people are always like i guess wondering is like what balances there between like a collaboration and like individual work but for me it's like collaborations are so much part of my individual practice um but yeah um this tba tba 2020 is um what like i think my third tba in four years yeah yeah you've been in wow that's impressive that turner project 2018 kai eric's 2017 um so i don't know i don't know if it's success or whatever but um we'll see we'll see uh We'll see what happens, but I would love to make more money to make a long story short, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that would be cool. That's the dream. Making art that sustains you financially. So what else? What else is going on? I think a lot of the stuff we had listed we already talked about in the So Extra episode. <laughs> yeah. 
So we, yeah, we, we can merge them as um, like just a double-sided episode or something. Yeah. All right. So I guess uh, what art are you getting into these days? Um, yeah. So so to go along, go back to the androids and the tower performance, um, Keon Gaskin is acting as dramaturg or um, is performing dramaturg duties. And I had a conversation with him a couple weeks ago about uh different things he brought up these this like group of performance artists the viennese actionists which i was not familiar with these like um post-world war ii dudes from vienna that like made really um what you would call like grotesque or like tasteless art but that was like part of the intention was like what is taste but a lot of it was like uh, a response to like like the after effect of fascism in europe right these are like dudes from like the 60s um it's still like yeah these four men so it's still like it was like masculine male approach, but then I guess ballet export is also a Austrian performance artist. Um, and then she like made like a, maybe like a feminist um, twist on um, the Viennese actionist as another, I guess, Viennese actionist. Um, so yeah, I was getting into those and then, you know, thinking about the idea around what is taste, what is like appropriate, what is grotesque, what is um, profane, like what are all these things? And how subjective that stuff can be. Um, but then it also led me into that uh, movie Solo, or 121, or 120 Days of um, Sodomy, um, which I've started referencing in like yeah, NTP art too, um, which I think is still like another um, example of like European post-fascist um, processing. This is like about these la- the last days of this like um, of fascism, like this like group of like fascist aristocrats that like kidnap a bunch of like local youth or whatever and then start just torturing them so that's the movie um and it's like super fucked up there's a lot of like blood violence kind of like fecal matter that like all that the whole spectrum yeah because i remember when you first sent me that graphic i was like what am i looking at i think we you need to talk me through this a little bit max before we post this Because I thought it was relevant too. I was like, oh yeah, like uh, fascism, fascism. But um, yeah. But then. No, it made sense when you explained it. So. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of like what I've been getting into. I've been really trying to like explore where my own taste comes from, and like what why I feel uncomfortable about certain things, versus like other things, and like trying to not permanently associate that with like something bad or wrong, but just like more question um why that would be potentially offensive or um why i should be offended by that and i think i'm really trying to like inject it into my art i think my art can come off like um i can really like exist in like a soft romantic place but um i'm really like uh interested in yeah pushing taste i guess and so that's the art i'm into right now nice what about uh what are you are you into melanie well um seeing as how netflix has seen to bless us with these gifts i've been absorbing myself in 90s black television sitcom art as of late i finally finished moesha which ended on a pretty terrible cliffhanger and that i had completely forgotten about um but um, i've started watching the game and the girlfriends just came out girlfriends just came out so i'm gonna watch that um what else um, there's this book, um, that I just got, and I had been waiting on it for a while, 
and it's called Wicked Flesh, Black Women, Intimacy, and Freedom in the Atlantic World. Um, and it's by, um, uh, it's by Jessica Marie Johnson. And I'm probably going to spend my whole weekend reading that. I'm super excited about it. Because, um, you know, it talks about, like, the journey of, like, freedom and intimacy with black women, um, descendants of the um, Atlantic slave trade. So, yeah, I'm, it's all relevant to my particular study of interests. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, that does make me think about this. I, um, I think I had seen it and then only like the other day, like actually like read about it a little bit, but, um, what are your thoughts, feelings around, um, antebellum? I actually don't know much. I know that I saw the trailer a couple months ago and I thought it was weird that there wasn't a whole lot of press about it, but then a mutual friend of ours, I think, um, uh, Ariella Ty was telling me that there was a whole bunch of, uh, con copyright bullshit going on around this, um, where the story was stolen from a black woman. Um, so then I stopped caring. Once I heard that, I was like, okay, I don't really need to know more. But then this morning, I think I read a re like I read the headline from a review, and apparently it's terrible. And and the person was saying, I'm just gonna forget that. Um, what's her name? Um, who's starring in it? I'm just gonna forget Janelle Monae did this. <laughs> and I don't know. What have you heard about it? Um, yeah, I hadn't heard that much. I, you know, as part of like teaching, I had signed um, my kids the Kendrick graphic novel for their zine project. Ooh, nice. So some, one, I think. Class. <laughs> yeah. So so I think one of them came back and I was like, oh, this kind of sounds like that movie that's coming out into Bellum. And I was like, oh yeah, like let me um, see that because like I remember like kind of hearing about it. And then, like, yeah. rereading more. I was like, oh, yeah, it's, like, the time-traveling, um, like, slave narrative or whatever with a Janelle Monet. Um, yeah. But then hadn't heard, like, much else about it. But then also in my other uh, areas of research, I've been, like, a lot more into Janelle Monet recently. So, like, my interest was peaked. But um, but then, yeah, too, I think I saw something on, like, um, social media the other day where people were also being, like, can we ever have like black fantasy that has nothing to do with like slavery? Like we get our black imagination can go to like the stars and stuff like that. And like, why does it have to like rehash um, slavery? Like why does time travel go back to slavery? Like why can't we, we go anywhere. We could be anything. Why does it have to be um, that? I always get weirded out by that whole argument because it's like, do you not pay attention? Cause there's plenty of stuff that doesn't have anything to do with slavery. Like, I don't know, but also I don't want to treat slavery like this thing that we can't talk about or we can't have narratives about. And also, and also, as a storyteller myself, there are ways to still tell stories in which you can include the narrative of enslavement, but also the the progression and the journey and the joys and all that. It's all like connected. Like you can tell the entire story. It doesn't have to be just the one thing. You know what I mean? I don't know. What do you think about it? Um, no, I mean, I feel like I, I see. I don't know if I have a. I don't know if I have a particular stance because I can see every argument. I can see um, why having a story still about enslavement is important to us as Black people. But I can also see why um, 
that shouldn't be so bound to our history or our future or our realities or our the art and culture we make. I think um, it's one of those things. Like I don't know. I can. I can. I feel like I can. I understand the arguments, but I don't know if I necessarily land on either side of it. I think I do because like I'll watch stuff, and it's, it's like certain times like it won't hit me so hard. Like again, like you know, I've seen Men's Society a bunch of times, but then watching it yesterday, I was like, I'm you know, it's rough to just watch black, violence against black people. Um, but then again, it's something I like. I watch like you know my whole life, you know, real life TV, right? You know, we've all consumed this stuff, right? Like violence against black people was very easy to see in media. Um, so obviously, I think it's sometimes where you're like you know you're in a certain emotional state, and it's like gonna like hit you so much worse, or you're gonna like um, be like attached to it in such like a different way to where um, part of me sometimes feels like I don't want to see anything that's violent against black people at all, right? Like I don't want to see, I don't want to consume any art media anything that has anything to do with that right it's like surely we can live a world where there doesn't have to be any black violence or violence against black people um so yeah i don't know i like i said i can i feel like i see both sides of the argument um i think maybe the world's big enough to where all narratives should exist but i understand that if another slave story is like getting a lot of like spotlight why certain black people would be like really like eye roll really like yeah I mean, I, 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 yeah, it's just that thing, like, it becomes this question of representation, which is a question that is only a question because there is so little of it. If there were more stories and more of a range, it wouldn't matter that there was one story about, that featured a, a narrative about slavery. But because yeah. that tends to be the one that rises to the top, it becomes a problem. And I acknowledge that it is a problem that those are the kinds of stories that are highlighted and the reasons why they're highlighted and who's the one, who are the people who are in the boardrooms choosing those stories. Right, like who's comfortable with that narrative? Who's comfortable seeing black people in those roles? Like yeah. a white producer decided to be like, you know what we're missing on TV right now? Black people getting whipped. You know, yeah. <laughs> Let's see more yeah. of that on TV. Yeah, and there's also room for nuance because not all slave narratives are like treated equally. Why don't we see more slave narratives about slaves, uh, ens enslaved people rising up and actually um, fighting oppression or choosing not to be oppressed? Or like, we don't see those slave narratives. There are certain kinds of slave narratives that are highlighted. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I mean, that, that speaks to so many things, but I think off the top of my head, I think of what, what violence is um, can accepted, what violence is um, authorized, right? Like, it's throughout American history, there's never been a question about, like, um, white people being violent towards black people, right? That's, like, part of our history. So we're just like, okay, yeah, we can see that whenever we want. White people have no problem seeing, like, a black person getting, like, brutalized by white people, right? But when you flip it around, you're like, this feels wrong. There's something wrong going on here. Like, yeah. this... <laughs> this should get like more than an R. This is NC seventeen. Like how we can't show this stuff. And it's like, but why? Like why is that all of a sudden so much different? Right when it's like now here's a white person getting killed, or something yeah. by black people. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This crosses some lines. This crosses some lines here. Hollywood is a whole scam. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So many grifters. But, uh. This is a tangent, but um, somebody somebody was telling me, oh yeah, I think Ruben was going off about how hot Timothy Timothy Chalamet was, 
Okay, wait a minute. I'm going to stop you right there. First of all, um, Timmy Tool Time Chevrolet looks about 12 years old, okay? Um, I don't get it. Maybe I'm just old. I need someone to explain to me where the hotness enters because I don't see it. No, I was, I was, I was up in arms about it. I was like, how dare you? I was like, yeah, Timmy Shallot is the epitome of white beauty standards. For you to uphold him is to say, you like, you know, you're complicit in whiteness. That's such a violent statement. Like, how fucking dare you say Timothy Chalamet is so fucking sexy? Like, fucking Timothy Chalamet, Finn Wolfhart, or whatever. Like, and I love that you. I I love the fact that I know for a fact that you said those exact words to Ruben because I don't understand your relationship at all. <laughs> like, I can't tell whether you hate each other or love each other. I, I'm pretty sure he loves me, but I can't tell how I feel about him. <laughs> but yeah, no, not cute, like at all. I was like, no, I don't want to be a part of that shit. I don't want to be part of that middle school, middle school shit. Like, it'd be like, used to be like Leonardo DiCaprio, now it's Timothy Chalamet. I was like, no, no, I'm not going to be part of this game that upholds this dude as some fucking paragon of sexiness. Like, not, not here. Not on my Instagram messages. <laughs> don't get it i just i need someone to explain it to me like i'm five like i would also like an explanation i mean i honestly i don't i don't want to know i don't care like to me no (laughs) (laughs) maybe it's not ours to know max yeah then i mean i don't know like i still feel like whatever like it's still it's still fucked up that we're still saying he's hot and he's fine he's average looking looks like everybody else yeah, he's really, like, the epitome of mediocrity. Like, and I'm not one to judge someone on their looks. Right. I find that incredibly shallow. No, I think I think so, too. But, again, when, when the conversation becomes white beauty standards and we talk about um, Timothy Shallot, in that regard, I was like, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> not today. <laughs> So, like, if we're talking about white people who are fine, there are so many better options out there. That Noah boy from that To All the Boys I've Loved Before, he's fine. I I don't know who you're talking about, but okay. I'll have to take Noah, your word for Noah it. Centineo, he looks like a young Mark Ruffalo. Oh, really? Do you is think current Mark Ruffalo is attractive? I think that Ruffalo, um, back in the day was fine as hell. He was. Mark oh, Ruffalo looked like a dude wait, who could. Young Mark Ruffalo? Huh? You think he's a young Mark Ruffalo? Yeah. Like, look up pictures of young Mark Ruffalo. He looked like a dude who could fuck up your credit and your driving um, record. Oh, really? Yes, Mark he did. Huh? Yes. <laughs> wow, there's actually articles that was like Mark Ruffalo is shocked that people compare him to Noah Centennial. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Mark Ruffalo is now like your standard, uh, you know, Ford Suburban um, dad or whatever. Okay, I can see young Mark Ruffalo a little more dangerous, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Moves in, changes your whole life. (laughs) Because he looks, he seems so like nice and unassuming now, right, Mark Ruffalo? 
Because I do, I do, um, I do like Mark Ruffalo as an actor and stuff. Yeah, he's cool. I mean, he's now, like, now he's forever attached to being the Hulk, which I don't, I think is a great thing for him financially, not so much for his, like, opus, but. I think every, I think every current actor is like, how do I get a Marvel Disney check? Like, I want to be a recurring role, you know, put me a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. I think so. Like, they're like, I, because that allows them to do stupid indie films afterwards. Being like, I got my Marvel money. Let me go be an artist now, you know. I mean, are they doing that now? Like, is Chris Evans doing a slate? Oh, like, are any of them? <laughs> um, I don't know. I think Chris Evans is like, now that I don't have to be Captain America anymore, I can go, uh, you know, be in these DIY films. I don't think they make independent films anymore, just in general, right? There's like Netflix films now. That's a good point, yeah. That the day of indie films might be over. Yeah. Huh. Well, is it time for our segments? Yeah, let's do segments. Alright. So now it's time for Celia's glass of water. A special shout out for the folks who are doing the most with not even the least. Oh Mr. Talking Trash about Shug. Folks don't like nobody being too proud or too free. Today's glass goes out to one Bob Woodward. Most well known for his scathing and incendiary reportage in the handling and uncovering of the Watergate scandal, Woodward's name has become synonymous with journalistic integrity and grit, qualities often attributed to the old school values of true American journalism. I mean, attributed by those who still think American media hasn't been questionable since its inception, but I digress. Anyway, it recently came out that Woodward interviewed former reality television host Donald Trump way back when in February of 2020. Remember February? We were all so young then. Woodward pointedly asked Trump about the threat of COVID-19, to which Trump admitted that it was airborne, that it was worse than the flu, and that it was, quote, deadly stuff. February. Cut to earlier this week, the beginning of September, and hundreds of thousands of dead Americans, and Woodward decides to leak this little tidbit of information. Why now, you ask? Well, turns out he just so happens to have a book coming out. I don't remember the name of it, and I wouldn't mention it if I did. But... <laughs> What better way to move some printed units than to reveal a juicy morsel about our current sitting president's admittance of the possible outcomes of coronavirus? But wait. Woodward knew this six fucking months ago, and did nothing, and said nothing, until it was his, in his own individual personal self-interest to do so. If the behavior of this towering paragon of American media isn't the most on-the-nose metaphor for the American progressive liberal, then I don't know what is. From the bottom of my fully compromised lungs, and with all my ire, fuck Bob Woodward and the typewriter he wrote in on. He is a coward and a disgrace, and he has the blood of 200,000 Americans on his hands, along with a long list of other folks. I hope your book goes double plastic and that you are haunted by the tainting of your own legacy forevermore. I am disgusted. Disgusted, but not surprised. Yeah, thank you for that, Melanie. You're welcome. That's, yeah, that's wild. Um, yeah, people should boycott his book for that reason. <clears throat> you should make zero dollars from that. Um, I think the book's called Rage. 
or something, right? Um, oh, really? Yeah, I, I think I remember hearing about it the other day, maybe. But um, that's wild. Yeah, like so. I also wondered. I was like, I wonder if this like guy like went out and like started buying up like masks and like a hand sanitizer and stuff like that like back in february oh my god and like now you know you can that's like insider trading right that's what it feels like yeah. it feels like insider yeah. trading it feels like some uh, martha stewart shit if you go to jail yeah like yeah like where what happened to this like right i mean if we're um using the american standard of journalism like where where did we go awry like at what point did journalists um not report important news, right? Like, was it when we found out Brian Williams was a liar? Is that when American Ooh, journalism died? I remember that. Yeah. Or who I, was the who was the other guy? Because Dan Rather's still alive, but there was yeah, some. Dan Rather is still. There was some other like newscaster that died. That was like a um a big. Is it Ted something? Ted. I know Peter Jennings died, right? But that was years ago, right? Remember him? He was before Brian Williams, but he like he had like a very aggressive cancer or something right so he died quickly yeah damn i don't know but yeah i mean i think it's crazy to think that like i'm gonna keep this in my book when then you see trump like lying about it and like i mean this so many things come up because now we don't hear from fauci anymore trump is like officially silenced fauci yeah <laughs> and um yeah and then so like Every, it's revealed that so many people know about it. We've known that from the beginning, right? All these Republicans yeah. and other politicians um, doing insider training, like about different resources or different like medical companies and like buying resources back in like January and February um, because they had this kind of reporting. They had this information, but the American public didn't. We didn't know. The CDC has consistently been lying and changing their story about what... Well, the CDC has been, like, gutted by Trump and then, like, some, like, uh, puppet has been put at the head, right? Just like with every other government agency, they've been completely, like, gutted, defunded, removed of all leadership, and then the only, like, head is some Trump puppet. It's like, this is, like, the perfect way to fuck up whatever. Like, I don't believe in, like, you know, government or democracy, but still, like, if we exist on those terms, it's the perfect way to fuck up all that shit. Yeah. just i mean this is the worst timeline it is i mean everything's already on fire just burn it all down at this yeah, point like, yeah we have like a, a neo you know it's 2020 we have a neo reagan the world's on fire there's a pandemic spreading police brutality is a you know so like visible alarming um flagrant and now these like right-wing militias are like walking hand in hand with the police the militarization of this like white minority um and that's where we live in, right and then the elections seem like they're gonna be extremely fucking rigged it seems like this is gonna oh be the my God. most it's like... i think it would be ridiculously stupid not to assume they're rigged at this point like we all know it's rigged they're they're doing and saying things and instituting policies right now to make sure that it's rigged they know it's like it's like they know it's like we're not gonna win what are we gonna do to make sure that the other person doesn't win it's like how do we make sure we have more votes than joe biden i mean at this point i would be shocked if an election actually happens that's how bad it is yeah i think i think yeah i think the the veneer of democracy has fallen off the lie of democracy has fallen um 
it's all it's all just it's all Trump. I think it's just Trump versus everybody else, and the people that support Trump. It's not even like Republicans anymore. It's just the Trump party, and then everybody else. Um, but so many people are like worship him as like a fucking deity. It's wild. Like you, you can see this guy contradict himself, lie to himself so many times. There's so much evidence of his lies, of his bullshit. But then other people like think he's the only person telling the truth. And it's like, how is that? How's that possible? Like, where where are you getting your information from? Are you just like delusion, or you don't care? It's just like the idea that like I don't give a fuck. That, that that's it. I'm just hateful, right? I'm I'm scared. My fear has turned to hate, and now I want to like kill people or protect this idea that I have things when it's like a lot of like poor white people are like you don't have anything but you're over here like believing a lie that you have something and with that but yeah our next segment is just the facts with Max um, it was supposed to be an ongoing segment but this will be the second one and okay. um, I will present to you a random fact that will be played right after I say this. I'm stating facts, 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 facts. Lobito is the fourth largest city in Angola. All right, so with that, we're going to conclude our 20th episode of Who All Gonna Be There. Uh, Max, do you have parting words? Um, 20 episodes, I'm so happy we made it. I don't know if there will be a 30th episode. <laughs> All right, I concur. Who knows what the future will bring, but here's hoping there's that we get to another 20 episodes through the fire, through the limit. Yeah, I have one more last words actually. Um <laughs> I guess I guess we are just um the musicians on the Titanic recording our podcast. <laughs> we certainly are. Good night y'all. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>